Well, I got to tell you, I, I hope you've been enjoying the service because I have. It's just great to be at Grace. I get an opportunity uh, during any given year to, uh, to go see at least a dozen other churches around the country. And I'm always uh, so thankful when I come home. I'm so thankful to be a part of this church, Grace, my favorite church uh, in the world. So we're, we're just thank you for, uh, for being who you are. We had a great weekend here this week. We had ladies' night out. I think we had 175 uh, roughly ladies there. So I hope you took advantage of that. Last weekend was a huge weekend for us with Kalahari. I think there was 113 junior high middle school students and 131 senior high students. That, and then 2,200 people that gathered together in Sandusky and uh, again, Zach took the lead on all that, and, and our staff was huge, uh, Luke and, and Michael and Jeff, in making all that happen, and then our volunteers. Just a huge, huge weekend with a lot of challenges. I don't know if you heard about it, but the speaker got snowed in in Virginia. Then Zach lined up you know, at the last minute. Zach lined up another speaker from Nashville. That guy got snowed in. He couldn't come. He finally went west and brought in a guy from Oregon. You know, it's just... Uh, it was, it was challenging, but it all came together, and it's neat to see uh, what God has done through all that. And then Upward Basketball started, and uh, 360 kids involved with that. And just, I, I know I was by here last evening, and they had started in the morning, and they were still at it. I think it was about 6.30 when I was here, and, and just still going strong with Upward. So a lot of things happening, and of course, the Student Center. Uh, this, is, this is your building, so I would invite you to go out there and check it out. You may get a little dusty, but I think it's safe to, to head out there and check things out. But if you're giving to Growing with Grace, this is your building. I mean, you need to go check it out and see what's happening there. The floor has been poured in the main area. I think there's just one area left. That's the middle school area that hasn't been poured yet, but uh, it's going to be a great resource. And, and please keep praying that uh, that'll end in a timely way. We're really hoping that we can wrap that up next month because we have big plans uh, beginning in March. So we've got a lot of things that, that we want to happen in that building. So just keep those things in mind. We're, we're in a series called What God Reveals About Himself. And it's actually a series on doctrine. And doctrine is just a word that means a, a body of truth that we believe from Scripture. And we started with the topic, God is, and we talked about the, the doctrine of the Trinity. And then we talked about God makes, the doctrine of creation, that he created things in six literal days. We talked about God speaks, the doctrine of revelation. And then last week, Tim talked about God transforms. And today, we're talking about God pays, the doctrine or the teaching of the cross. Romans 5.8 says this, But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves us and God loves you. I remember sometimes just, have you ever had those moments where you review your life and maybe relationships, people that you've known and used to know and were close to and, and maybe are closer to or less close to? Because I don't know if you move around a lot like I did uh, 
relationships kind of come and go. It was, I got to meet with an old friend from high school while I was out in California last week. And, and just relationships just ebb and flow a little bit. But as I think of my life like that, what I'm always stunned by is that God was always there. God always loved me. God never left me. Always faithful. Always there. No matter what I was going through, bad times, good times, no matter what it was, God was always there. And I could think through all the different times of my life, difficult times, great times, lonely times. Doesn't matter what it is, and I could see God's hand working in that. And and then just marvel at God's love for me. Even while I was estranged from him as a sinner. And you know what? God loves you the exact same way. And here's what I want to tell you today. God's love for you is deadly serious. Well, what I'd like to do today is, is just answer four, four simple questions uh, the way I do sometimes. And that is, first of all, what is the cross? Who is the cross for? Um, why the cross? And what the cross means? So we're going we're gonna to jump in there. Uh, and if you think about it, the cross is a strange symbol, right? I mean, it's a, it's a symbol of an instrument of torture and death. But it's a symbol, and it started out, it was a symbol that was offensive, it was repulsive. But it has come over the centuries to be a symbol that's dear to our hearts. If, if you could just imagine, I mean, some things we would rather forget. Uh, while I was gone, I had two sets of meetings. One set of meeting was uh, near San Diego in a place called Carlsbad, uh, with some pastors that we meet every year and we learn. We actually met with an author named uh, Larry Osborne. He gave us an entire day and, and uh, just learned. It's kind of a, a learning time. And then I had a, a day or two break, but it wasn't worth flying home and back because then I had another meeting in Seal Beach, which was kind of the council that's over our group of churches. So two different meetings both kind of in the same area. And I thought, well, that'll be great. The two days in between, I'll study for this message and it's gonna work out perfectly. And then Sunday night, as our meetings were wrapping up, they actually wrapped up early Monday morning, uh, the first set of meetings, I got sick. Has anybody been sick this year yet? I mean, the cough thing and the aches and the fever, I mean, it just all hit. And from Saturday, from Sunday night, to Tuesday morning, I was in bed the entire time except for the five hours that I ventured out to go find a doctor and get a thermometer and buy some uh, medicine uh, that he prescribed and then back into bed. I mean, I slept, I think, longer than I've ever slept in my life. Some things, some bad things we go through Anybody else have this? Because I'm, I'm hearing people cough and everything. Is, okay. Not, I, I thought it would be a lot more. So maybe, maybe got flu shots or something. But anyway, wise. I didn't. But anyway, it's, you, some things you rather forget, right? 
laying in a bed, sweating, you know, uh, anyway. And then some things are beyond you just rather forget. Some things are just uh, horrible to think about. You know, think, think about uh, September 11th, 2001. Terrorists flew planes into buildings. The two towers fell. Thousands of, of uh, Americans died. And we look back on, on that as a tragedy. And, and what if since that time uh, I went out and bought a piece of jewelry and it, was, and it just depicted two towers of New York City? And, and then I wore that around my neck. And then people said, hey, wh why are you wearing that? And I go, those two towers. That's me just celebrating the, the deaths of all those people in New York. That would be offensive, right? That, that's kind of how it is with the cross. What, what today we see is, is kind of a piece of jewelry or just an emblem really was a, it was like wearing a, a, a little miniature guillotine or a, a hand grenade you know, something around our neck that's just, that just meant torture and death. But it's kind of the weirdest symbol but we understand that it's come to mean something to us because it is, it, it's the death of our Savior. As a matter of fact, next Sunday we're going to have communion. And what are we doing? We're celebrating, kind of sounds odd, right? The death of our Savior. And we'll talk a little bit more about that then. So if that's what the cross is, then, and it really, the cross is the whole point of Christianity. The cross is the whole point of the Bible. The whole story arc all through the Old Testament, everything, it's all pointing to the cross. We're all waiting for the cross. We're waiting for the sacrifice, for the Lamb to come, the Messiah, to redeem us. And he did. So next question. Who's the cross for? Now, I wasn't going to include this, but it's actually become kind of controversial. So... Here, I'd like to divide you into two groups for just a moment. If you've been a Christian for a long time, this is for you. If you're kind of new or maybe you're not even a believer yet, this is going to sound kind of strange. So you have my permission to tune out for the next couple of minutes. Who is the cross for? This seems really obvious, but today it really isn't. Because there are um, a group of, of Bible-believing Christians who believe that Jesus didn't die for everyone, that he only died for some people. Now, we know the Bible teaches us that anytime any of us come to Christ, that we're part of this group of people that the Bible calls the elect or the chosen of God. They would take that truth and kind of expand that to say that God didn't really die for all people, and, and, the way, and that's called Five-point Calvinism. How many of you heard that? Then, then I'll know if I should even be talking about this. Five-point Calvinism? Don't be shy about it. I mean, it's just... Go ahead. Yeah. All right. Let's just do this real... So five-point Calvinism is represented by an acronym like TULIP. All right? It's, it's these five points. Total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, perseverance of the saints, TULIP. 
Well, it's this limited atonement that says Christ didn't die for everybody. That's why we're not here at Grace, five-point Calvinists. We're four-point Calvinists, or we're unlimited limited atonement, or we're unlimited atonement. You can call it a lot of things, but we're not five-point Calvinists because we reject the idea of limited atonement. Why? Because the Bible tells us that all through the Bible, all through the New Testament. Now, we understand that even though Christ died for everyone, that Christ's death is only effective for us when we've placed our faith, our trust, our belief in Christ alone. And until that time, even though Christ has died for us, it's not doing us any benefit until we receive this gift of forgiveness that God is offering and then we know, by the way, even when we do that, we know it's really God pulling us, God drawing us to himself. That Even that's not of our own. God makes it possible for us to come to him. But I'm talking about passages like John 4, 42 that says, and they were saying, remember the woman at the well? And then she starts believing in Christ, goes, tells the the, the city of people, this little village, and then they all start questioning Christ. And at the end of that story, and they were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and know that this is the one that I'm sorry, that this one is indeed the savior of the world. And my point is, again, the savior of the world. And then there's another verse in Second Peter Chapter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And, and we could read literally a hundred verses that are talking about this thing. Basically, we're just reaffirming the biblical truth that probably everybody here already knows. Christ came to die for the entire world. Okay, everybody tune back in now. That was the little commercial. And now next question, why the cross? Why the cross? Well, the cross was necessary because even though I can look back, for example, in my life and just track through every section of my life, before I was a Christian, after I was a Christian, good times, bad times, I could see God's love for me through all of that. And in spite of that, I have sinned against him. Whether it's selfishness or pride, whatever it is, I have this propensity to rebel against God, and, and you do too. You see, we're sitting here and we're enjoying health and every time our heart beats and every time we take a breath, that's God good, God's goodness to us. And God just pours out his blessing on us. And, and again, if we're sitting here, which I've mentioned before, you know, we're, we're probably in the top 5% richest people in the world. And God's been very good to us. But when God starts exercising his authority over our life, we kind of instinctively rebel. When God puts limits on our selfishness or on our sexuality or God tells us how we should handle our money, we don't like it. We don't like 
when God is an authority over our life. As a matter of fact, I think that's the number one hindrance when we talk to people about Christ is when it comes right down to it, people in general don't want a righteous God to be the boss of their life. They don't want an authority in their life. And so we run, we rebel, we, we cross the boundaries. We do what we know God says is wrong. We flex our own muscle and our own freedom, our own pride. Why do we need to cross? Because every time we cross those boundaries, every time we do what God's told us not to do, we all deserve the wrath of God. Every single one of us stand under God's righteous wrath. We're in Christian circles a lot of times uncomfortable talking about the wrath of God, but but we really need to understand it because apart from God's holy and righteous wrath, the cross makes no sense. We have to come to this understanding that God is angry over sin in a righteous way. And I know some people kind of react, well, why, why, why is God so mad? I thought God was a God of love. God's wrath exists because God is love. And let me try to illustrate that for you. Guys, every, every great guy movie, right, is, is where you have a nice guy and, and then, like, Braveheart. Braveheart, nice guy. He's in Scotland. You know, he doesn't want to fight anybody. He's just a really nice guy until what happens? Until they killed his wife. Then William Wallace, the freedom fighter, goes off. Right? That's the way every kind of got great guy movie starts. The first five minutes, the guy is just a really nice guy, patriot. You know, he's, he's minding his own business. He doesn't want war until they kill his son, taken. He's just your average nice guy on the street with a particular set of skills. And then all of a sudden, you know, something happens to his daughter and he goes off and the body count starts. Right? I mean, that's, are you with me? I mean, that's the way it is. Of course, those are just movies. I know many of you here are supporting orphans in Thailand. And supporting those kids in Thailand, it actually does a couple of things. Um, first of all, it rescues kids from sex trafficking. Because that, that is rampant in some parts of Southeast Asia, and especially in Thailand, where there's, uh, I don't think there has been, I'm not sure about now, particular laws against having uh, sex with children. Tutu tells the story of uh, being in her village, and, and, and there were, I think she said, four orphan girls. The village, and, and there's some reasons for that, but four orphan girls, and, and the village couldn't really support them. And, and so 
some people came from the city, Chiang Mai, and they offered to take these girls in, take them back to the city, provide them some housing, uh, find a way for them to get a job, and then if they were able to get that job, they kind of promised them that they might even be able to go to school. And so these girls went with them to Chiang Mai, and then what the village found out later, and Tutu found out later, was that first night they got to Chiang Mai, these young girls, about nine years old, were sold for $200 to spend the night with a man, first night. All four of them. And then they began a life of prostitution. You see, some Thai men believe that having a physical relationship with a young virgin girl has health, literal health benefits and will help you live longer. And so they're willing to pay a premium uh, to spend the night with, with younger and younger girls. Now, you can imagine that if you or I were walking through the streets of Thailand and we saw, say, say we just kind of looked through the open windows of a bar or something, and we saw a nine-year-old girl in the corner of that bar being molested by four men, it, it'd make us throw up. If we walk by and we recognize the girl being molested as, as one of our orphans, we would go in there and we would fight for her. And if we looked in a room like that and saw somebody doing something like that to our daughter, we would kill whoever we needed to kill to make it stop. Right, dads? That is the wrath of God. Making evil stop doing something about it. That's what God, his wrath, is all about. Some say, Kevin, wow, this is really dark. God is love. God wouldn't do that. God, God's not wrathful. He's a God of love. He wouldn't do that. He, he wouldn't react that way. You know, sometimes in saying that, it's like we've reduced God down uh, to something that he isn't. And so there's a lot of people saying, you know, God wouldn't do that. There's no such thing of hell as hell. God, God is not wrathful. You know, what kind of God is that? What kind of God doesn't react to sin like that? Dads, if you would do that for your daughter or somebody that you knew or maybe somebody you didn't know, some little girl, what do you think the God of the universe would do? You see, some people in our culture, they have turned God into somebody that we wouldn't even respect on the street. Who wouldn't stand up for right. That, that would be like us 
seeing somebody doing unspeakable things to our child and then thinking, oh, well, supposed to be loving. I guess that's okay. I guess there's nothing I can do about it. Thinking like that cuts the heart out of who God is. God is a consuming fire. God loves our children more than we love our children. God loves our children with a white, hot, righteous passion. And God hates sin. You know, we say that a lot. God loves the sinner and hates the sin. And, you know, and I've said that too. And, and we, we get that. That's not actually from the Bible. And, and, and that's okay. As long as we keep in mind something. Those men who purchased those girls in Thailand, God didn't throw just their sins into hell. He threw them into hell. God doesn't just throw the sins of Hitler into hell. God throws Hitler into hell. And God's going to do the same thing to each one of us. Because we don't understand the magnitude of our sin against him. You see, why the cross? Because the cross is the only thing that stands in the way of sinful people. And the white, hot wrath of God. Because we all deserve his wrath. We've all rebelled. We've all sinned. We've all hurt people that we shouldn't have hurt. Why the cross? Because God has made a way. He's not afraid to deal with sin. And that's what's amazing about the third question. If you think about it, what does the cross do? The cross, it's amazing. And I want to kind of quickly just go through five things that the cross does for us. And some of these will contain some words. Just hang with me. First of all, the Christ is our atonement. And sometimes to explain that word atonement, we break it down. At one meant, you know, atonement. God kind of fixes the, the fissure in our relationship with him. Whenever we sin against someone, we alienate them from us. And when we all sin against other people and most of all, we all sin against God. I mean, even in a meeting of pastors, the second meeting that I was in, we're sitting around in, in a little uh, church in Seal Beach, and we're 
discussing all these issues. And sometimes, surprisingly, even with pastors, it can get a little heated, you know, a little bit intense. And so when that happens, after that session will be over, something usually, you know, one of the guys will just go to that other guy that maybe they had different opinions on. And he'll just say something like, hey, we okay? Yeah, we're okay. You see, we always, as sinners, we're always in need of some way to uh, seek forgiveness and to fix the relationship. And of course, you have to have that in marriage, right? Any relationship, any human relationship, if the relationship is going to continue, there has to be some process, some way to seek out forgiveness and receive forgiveness because we keep, whether we want to or not, sinning against each other. And so in our marriages, we, we, we find ourselves where we have to keep asking for forgiveness. Maybe we show up with flowers, you know, whatever it takes to try to make that right. That's, that's kind of what's, what's taken with atonement. Here's the way it's said in Scripture. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. The just for the unjust, to bring us, to reconcile us to God. The cross is also, number two, our propitiation. And don't be put off by the word, propitiation. It means that the wrath of God is absorbed by Christ. That Jesus shields us from the wrath of God. And here are some verses. 1 John 2.2 says, And he himself, talking about Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. He's saying, hey, Jesus goes to the cross to shield us from God's wrath. And then third, the cross is our, our ransom. Every time we sin against God, it puts us in God's debt. And so all of us were up to our eyeballs in debt to God because of our rebellion against him. Intentional or unintentional, we've all rebelled repeatedly against God. And the only person with the ability to pay off our debt is Jesus because we have no resources of our own, no way to bargain, only Christ. 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6, for there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. And then also for he's our justification. How can God declare us because we're guilty? How can he declare us not guilty? How can a righteous, holy God look at us sinful rebels and allow us to go free? That's justification. Romans 5.1 says it this way. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Romans 5.9. And the last thing the, Christ, the cross does is the cross is our righteousness. 
We talked about this a few weeks ago, mentioned that the cross not only takes care of our sin, but through the cross, we actually exchange our sin for Christ's righteousness. So once we have placed our faith in Christ and, and we become a believer and then we go to heaven, we, we don't go to heaven like with a blank slate, like our sins have been washed away, which they have, and then we just show up blank. Our sins have been washed away, but to our account has been credited the righteousness of Christ. So we don't show up with just a blank slate. We show up as if we have lived the, the life that Christ did and Christ died as if he had lived the life that we live. Our righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 The cross is the weirdest symbol. But we cling to it. Because it's the only thing that stands between us and an all-righteous, all-powerful, all-holy, all-loving God. It's the strangest symbol, but it's all we have. The God of the universe is holy beyond our imagination. He's not okay with sin. He doesn't wink at sin. And he loves us with such an intensity. That we'll never fully realize it until we get to the other side. And it's because of his love for us. That's why there's wrath. God's inviting all of us to repent and turn to him. Repent is just when we come to that point, we change our mind about Jesus, which, which kind of changes our behavior as we want to follow him. He invites us all to come to this point where we repent, we turn, and we follow him. And we put our faith in Christ and what he did on the cross. A couple of last verses I want us to look at as we close. And it just kind of comes with the question, have you turned to Christ? Have you made your salvation secure? John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish 
but have eternal life. Romans 10.13 says, For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you're not sure where you stand with God, there's no better time to make that sure than right now. The cross is the most important event in all of history. Our Savior came to die for us. The death, burial, the resurrection of Jesus, it's everything. And my question is simply, have you, real, have you come to realize that you deserve, you personally deserve the wrath of God? And that the only way that you could be forgiven was by sinless Jesus Christ being tortured and killed for your sin so that there would be a way for you to be forgiven. If you're not sure you've done that, if you're not sure that you came to God bankrupt with nothing, call on him. Call on Jesus. Call on him to save your soul. Let's bow our heads, and I'm going to wrap up. And I hope you you followed, and, and I know in this room we, we have people who have been Christians longer than I have. Decades. And we also may have people in this room that have never quite just taken that step of faith. They're okay with church, and and maybe you're here because a family member's here or your friends are here, but maybe you just haven't made this decision yourself. We all stand condemned. Cling to the cross. Cry out for forgiveness and salvation. The only way the cross counts for us is when we place our faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross for us. And if you're ready to trust him, I'll help you express that to God through prayer. And just pray it along, pray along, make it yours, be sincere, put it in your own words as you talk to God. And you can even do it silently because he knows your every thought. Maybe something like this. Father God in heaven, God, I realize that you are a consuming fire, a righteous and holy God who burns against sin. And Father, I recognize that I'm a sinner And the right thing is that I would be punished for my sin. And because my sin's way more serious than I've ever realized, that punishment is separation from you forever in a place called hell. But God, I'm crying out for salvation. I'm calling on you. 
God, save me. I have nothing to bring you, nothing to offer. God, forgive me of my sin. Come into my life and help me to lead it as I follow you. God, thanks for loving me in spite of my sin and my rebellion. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand together. If you'd like to, if you're here and maybe something struck a chord with you, you want more information, uh, I'll be in room one with some of the other pastors. We're happy to talk with you. Again, thanks for being here this Sunday as we, we talk about the cross, something that's precious. It's a weird symbol, but it means everything to us. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your goodness. And Lord, even though talking about your wrath is uncomfortable, Father, we know we have to do that because that's what teaches us about your love and the amazing thing about the cross and how it's the only thing that stands between us and judgment. God, thank you for loving us like that with cost. Lord, with sacrifice. Lord, and teaching us how to love. Lord, and help us to do that. Love each other better and better. God, thank you for Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You're dismissed.